0: The Imprint Companion Podcast is, of course, brought to you by Imprint Films. Imprint Films is a brand-new Australian boutique Blu-ray label. Check them out for limited-edition deluxe Blu-ray releases of long-requested and previously unreleased films. Check out the past and future releases online at imprintfilms.com.au. You can follow Imprint Films on Twitter at imprint underscore or one word, on Instagram at Imprint Films, no space. And finally on the Facebook page at Imprint AU.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the officially sanctioned Imprint Companion. I am one of your hosts, Blake Howard. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the second part of the May release bundle episode. Uh, this is a show where we talk about the entire releases from Imprint Films, a brand spanking new Australian boutique label. I am joined as always by my legendary co host, Alexi
2: Toliopoulos. Hello, Alexi, again. Hello, Blake, still and again and forever. I am so (laughs) glad that we're here once again talking about DVD culture. It is a culture that I was brought up in. It is the culture that I plan to have my funeral based around. Yes, my dream is to be cremated (laughs) and not. Turned into a little diamond, not turned into a crystal, but turned into a DVD. That's my dream—not a Blu-ray, a classic DVD. Not hard coded. I want to be brittle.
1: He wants to be brittle as, and he <laughs> wants one of those clippy closed black cases. He doesn't actually even want the full hard case. He wants yes. the OG cardboard and the black on the outside. That if it rips, oh my you're basically gosh, screwed. That is what
2: he wants, ladies and that gentlemen. That is what I want. I have one of those still in my collection. I have one that I have not been able to get rid of.
1: I, I, oh my God. I have, a, and now, so, you know, I know we're going to, this is a, a super digression immediately, but yes. the Criterion Collection, and this is mm-hmm. this is what The Imprint Companion is about. Criterion Collection um, and Imprint Films is just like an, an Australian boutique emerging collection yes. of its own, recently brought out. A Bruce Lee collection. Mm -hmm. All of the Bruce Lee movies in their glory. The last one of those original style DVDs I have in my collection is an Enter the Dragon DVD that has that case. I'm going to show it to you in just a moment as part of this show, but we have to finish this introduction. We are three out of five spines in. If you're listening to this episode first, welcome. Jump back an episode, go to part one because we're completely unpacking, we're completely unboxing, we're Mm -hmm. completely
2: de-slipping the slipcases
1: of all...
2: I had a tinkle (laughs) up my winkle as soon as you said that. I couldn't believe that we're de-slipping today, but we are. are, And we we are are going spine by spine.
1: Spine by spine, baby. Just like the Predator, spine by spine, (laughs) we are just... We are just just going through everything in the May releases from Imprint Films. We've covered Mm -hmm. spine number three, I married a monster from outer space. Spy number two, sorry, wrong number. Spine numero uno, War of the Worlds. And now we're jumping to spine number four, which is Ridley Scott's The Duelist.
0: The Duelist demands satisfaction. Honor for him is an appetite, an obsession to kill. No apology is accepted, no quarter given. Only death will satisfy honor. You have insulted me! I have strained my patience in order not to do so.
2: But I demand an apology. Strife without reason, a quarrel pursued for its own sake. Ferro intends to kill you. Gentlemen, prepare to advance. The debut film of director Ridley Scott, who has since gone on to some quite notes. He's gone on. He's gone on to receive some acclaim since then.
1: Some acclaim. I've, I've seen maybe one or two of his films. He yeah. maybe made. He maybe made both of the greatest science fiction films ever made. And uh, in
2: Alien and then Blade Runner. In my opinion, that's not even his best film.
1: No. Neither and, of those. Uh, I mean. If you've got a career where you've already made those two and yeah. anyone can say with a straight face that maybe they're not your best films in your entire career, you are obviously killing it. Yes. And he was. This is his first film. It stars Keith Carradine. It stars Harvey Keitel. It's uh, It. It's basically for folks who have never heard of it but maybe have seen Family Guy. It's like Peter Griffin and the Chicken. It they is. They see each other in the street and they cannot help but fight. That is clearly a ripoff of the jewels. I'm so
2: is- glad that you said it so I didn't have to, because I would have <laughs> I would have hated to have mentioned Family Guy on a podcast, but I'm glad that it was you that did it and not me. Because that's really what it is. And I had seen this once before back in my Mondo movies days as yes. a little video store clerk. And I'd never really gone back to revisit it because Ridley Scott, while I do appreciate some of his movies, he's not really one of my guys because he's I th- I feel guy. like his movies have a emotional distance to them or emotional reductiveness to them and a coldness to them that I don't really – I don't vibe with. My favorite film of his far and away is Thelma and Louise. I, that's the one – that's the one Tony Scott film directed by Ridley Scott, in my opinion. And that's <laughs> maybe why it's my favorite. So I had never really gone back to revisit Duelist. I didn't feel compelled to. But I do think that it is the... Of this first batch of imprint, I do think it is that killer app where it's the one that collectors uh, most after because there was like a Shout Factory release I think in 2013 that has since gone out of print of this film on Blu-ray has been really hard to track down. It's been unavailable until now. And because it is by like one of the great prestige directors that is highly collectible, especially in physical media, because he's made a point to be like a director that has embraced like the special feature and embraced physical media. He loves
1: it. He loves a director's cut. This guy
2: loves a director's
1: cut. He loves special feature um, he loves ancillary, you know, marketing stuff that he can then tack into versions of the movie. And Ridley himself is a bit of a completist when it comes to releasing huge batches of his movies, like making the different versions yes. available, like in some of the, you know, the, the more notable collections of like Blade Runner and things like that. He will show you the original theatrical. He'll show you the, the 99 cut. He'll then show you a final cut. Like he yeah. loves the work print. You got the, the work print on that he'll Blu-ray. He'll show you the cut that he... <laughs>
2: Very rare. I own it, dude. It's, it's, it's a very so- rare Blu-ray. It's one of my most expensive <laughs> items in this collection that so I'm sitting in front of. The work print edition what? is that five-disc Blu-ray set it's, with, like, the dangerous me, days. I've got it. I do not even freaking love the movie that much, and I've got <laughs> it, and I'll never get rid of it.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. So if you are a Ridley completist and you missed out on that Shout Factory, like, this is the gold standard mm. uh, in this entire collection. and And it's... It like uh, I'm I'm the same as you. I saw I, I, I saw this movie a long time ago. I, I was I did not see it on a, even a um a Blu-ray. I saw it on a DVD, and I saw uh, a collection in a library at university because wow. it was just one of those lucky places you could find yeah. some of this rare stuff. Like in the library, it was there, and I saw it, and it was really nice to check it out again. And it does look, it does look glorious. But I think that one of the things that this movie does is, it's so beautiful in the print mm-hmm. that you can see, it's almost like you can see the imperfections with, yes. greater, with greater magnitude in some respects. But um, in others, I think it works so great. Like when things are tight, when the fights are up, intimate and up close and personal, I think that that's where this like totally shines. And just in the faces of these two guys, Keith Carradine, who's like a super classy guy, and Harvey Keitel, who right at this moment is like at his peak Dennis He's Hopper poppin'. phase, and is just like uh, he'll just stab guys. Like, yeah. like the special features, there's a great interview um, dueling directors with Kevin Reynolds, who's a filmmaker and a huge fan of this movie, with Ridley. And Ridley, really, he did.
2: Uh, um, is it? Did you do counter Monte Cristo* or *Man in the Iron Mask*? He he did what he did he also had a swashbuckling classic.
1: Yeah, definitely had a swashbuckler. I'm gonna look that up while we're talking. But yeah. one of the great things I wanted to talk to you about was you you mentioned Ridley being cold. Like this is a guy who's like cold, bit of a cyborg, those sorts of things. Yeah. Ridley Ridley in this is totally, like, fine mm. Harvey Cartel is such in character that he doesn't mind skewering people with some of the swords that he's doing or, like, wrapping them over, you know, wrapping the, you know, that you were using car aerials and all this stuff because it was a really cheap, you know, cheaply made movie um, to, to sort of feign some of the fencing and things like that. And, like, Harvey Cartel's hurting people and Ridley's like, yeah, I mean.
2: That's, that's part, part and parcel. That's what needs to happen.
1: That's part and parcel. Good. It's all good. Um, Yes, you are so right. Count of Monte Cristo, but also Kevin Reynolds, most famous for Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, baby.
2: Oh, no. so he is right in what The Duelist is all about. It is kind of, I guess, swashbuckling, period piece, epic adventure cinema. And I would say that like what sets us apart from the other film that we're going to be talking about in this little batch of episodes is that this is an adventure and there is i did not remember this at all but i found this movie to be incredibly funny uh not incredibly funny i was not like guffawing watching this movie listen i work in comedy i've seen funny this isn't that funny i'll be honest but hey i know guffaws and this was no guffaw (laughs) it's not a guffaw But this I I didn't I was I was pleasantly surprised by how funny this movie is because there is an absurdist tragedy in these two proud men being locked in this battle to the death that goes on for over a decade and a half where it, it just never ends because they can't they can't bring themselves to kill each other or they can't there's mishaps that happen along the way where they can't finish the job and it is very funny. I think Harvey Keitel and definitely Keith Carradine is genuinely a very funny actor, I think. He's got a very expressive face and so much of his like facial work in this movie is like repressing his angst and repressing his like how frustrated and annoyed he is that he's just trapped in this like lifelong battle with this guy that he barely knows.
1: And it's so funny. He he is the he's like the straight man. Mm. If, we, if we were, in our last episode we mentioned the Odd Couple, uh, referencing the commentary, but I loved him as to Hubert because he's like there as this guy who it starts out with this like battle, you know, of one-upsmanship, and eventually it's like you know eye for an eye. They sort of get each other. But what Carradine doesn't, what he's so great at, is like he's getting dragged into this thing that he knows is no end and Ki- yeah. and and, and uh Faroe is a nutcase like he's just the guy who is completely wanting to just go- come to blows no matter what part of what time period they're in no matter what setting they're in they're just going to come to it and what's so funny is just watching Carradine like slowly and slowly realize like this mother and I are going to kill each other. Like, <laughs> yes. we are just going to kill each other. There's, there's no out. And so I, I totally agree. It has a tragic humor that, like, I, that's probably the best rediscovery element of this is mm. like you can have a genuine laugh at the tragedy of yes. it. And I think that maybe maybe the funniness is like a first watch, but I think if you watch it again and again, it might just get sadder. Yeah. It's like, fuck, these guys are just never... Ever going to get out of this? Like, it, it doesn't feel like um, that they can in any way, shape, or form. And
2: especially, like, there's a like duality between them. A duality between the duelists, if you wish, which is what I would have named special features if I got to put one on this DVD. <laughs> uh, but there is this duality between them where Hubert, played by Keith Carradine, um, has, outside of this duel, kind of got along with his life. Like, he has, yeah. like, several, he's had girlfriends and relationships that have failed and succeeded. He's courting a different a a Mormon. lot of
1: girlfriends who bath in front of him. Yeah. I think that that's a courting thing that we miss. Yeah. Well, Just speak for yourself,
2: bathing. baby. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> there is like this thing of like he's like progressed through the ranks. He's kind of like found success in his career. So like apart from like this duel that he has going with Harvey Keitel, he's leaving, leading a very normal, slightly successful yeah. life. And then Javi Gaitel is early hell bent on these <laughs> duels, basically. And like his <laughs> idea of vendettas and revenge and like that's, and he's, he's pride in those th- in those pursuits, these more violent pursuits. Even though the other guys are soldiers too, so they both have violent pursuits. But he is like very vengeful. And I think that there's like, there's a very funny dichotomy between those that I was really delighted by in this. This might be another yeah. one that's a little bit more Tony. And that's why I liked it too. <laughs>
1: A touch more, Tony. Anytime Ridley takes a turn for Tony, I think we can be happy. Yes. Um. I. I. I I'm a fan of this. I, I'm a fan of this because I think at it, at its peak of ridicule, um, uh, and sort of farcical nature, it's it's really at its best. Mm-hmm. Like there's a there's a sequence of where they're duel. they they're they're fighting. uh they're fighting the Russians as Napoleonic soldiers in absolutely unfathomably cold conditions yeah. and they're gonna and, and even in that moment there's like a moment of solidarity where they can fight the enemy and then it's on again like it's just straight on like that it has to you know cartel just will not let it end and it's just one of those things that I, I don't know it's, it's, it's definitely got a lot of those elements there's just like of one upsmanship and and speaking of Tony like this could be the whole I feel like if one of these guys was Tony Scott it's Keith Carradine and yeah. I feel like Ridley is like the Harvey Keitel yeah. killer like I will not stop this and Tony's like man do we have to keep go-? like <laughs> what is this one upsmanship? Yeah. It's, it's just like it's it's just like but you know kind of effortless and cool and it's yeah it's just tragic because like every time Carradine seems to have you know dehubert seems to have his shit together there's another blue and then his partner's just like, okay, cool. I'm out. Cause you're a psycho and you continue to dabble with this idiot, um, in these fighting. And it's, yeah, but it's, but it's, you know, it's got a lot of, you can tell why people were impressed with him. Mm. He's got a lot of command and he does that thing that he does later in things like black Hawk down, where if you look down the IMDB list of this movie, there are so many famous people or people who are about to become famous or faces that you are familiar with in just all of the the sort of background and the sort of tapestry actors that, you know, fill out every role. Mm. Um, and it just, it just totally works um, as, as as a nice little, like, snapshot yearbook photo for a lot of these folk who then go off and have, like, whole massive careers.
2: And I think as well there's, like, there, there's an element to this movie that, you know, I, I would say Javi Cartel is one of my all-time favourite actors is someone that I I really do idolize. And there's something about him where he makes really bold choices. I do like seeing Harvey Keitel, who is such a native New Yorker in these period piece films where his accent shouldn't exist, like Last Temptation of Christ, like this film, (laughs) Uh, like um, Jane Campion's The Piano. And I... I think that he has, like, this, like, magnetism about him that really suits these period pieces that you kind of, like, you know, just like, I accept whatever Harvey Keitel is doing in this movie. I accept it. And another thing about Harvey Keitel. I hate,
1: I hate, I, oh, before we get on to more Harvey, but that's something that I think that he nails and yes. he just
2: gets is, like, you
1: don't need to put a dumb accent on. Exactly. Like, or you don't need to feign an accent. You just need to do it. Like, uh, maybe maybe that's the whole Kevin Reynolds connection of, like, he does the Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and, yeah. like, you know, three or That's four takes connection. into Costner attempting a British yeah. accent. He's just like, he's like,
2: nah, forget just,
1: it. Just, just, just do American. Yes. Like, you're just Elliot Ness
2: still. Okay. You're old timey Elliot Ness, even more old timey, <laughs> keep it going. But another thing about Harvey Keitel appearing in this movie, this is like part of Harvey Keitel's career. And I think part of like why I'm so fond of him is that he works with a lot of first-time directors. And this is the first-time, yes. first feature film of Ridley Scott. It's his debut. And you can see so much of, like, Ridley Scott's career just in this movie. You can see, like, so much of, like, his photography is already present, the way that he frames things, the way that he uses light is already there. But, like, could tell he was in Scorsese's first film, Who's That Knocking At My Door? Um, yes. And he's also he in, in Reservoir Tarantino's. Dogs.
1: Tarantino's first film, baby. Tarantino,
2: Res Dogs, dude, right, uh, freaking Quentin Tarantino, dude, one <laughs> of the, one of the most famous directors of all time. But I think that uh, it's it's a testament to like Harvey Keitel as an actor, willing to like take these risks and experiment and like yeah. kind of like usher people in and be on the cutting edge of what cinema is. And I think that this is like a great example of that as well.
1: Yeah, it's it's. And also it's like, it's really funny to watch these two guys um, for me because it's like, Carradine is a guy who's like been in television, he's dabbled in movies, like he's got a lot of, I guess, international clout. And you see Kaitel at this point in his career is just bouncing along from all these directors and like seeing something mm. in a whole bunch of these new talented people and sort of, as you said, like anointing them to be the next thing. Yeah. And it's so cool to watch these guys on different trajectories in their career as well because like Carradine's doing that like ultra reliable, like just on point, like mm. you know, nailing it, all that stuff we love. For keith carradine and harvey cartel is just magnetism like yeah. he's just a fireball like he can't be contained and i don't think this movie fully contains him and that's part of its you know part of its greatness because yeah. he just comes in and he just knocks it out of the park i i love me a period movie where people and 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 it sort of suits in it's sort of in the in the next movie we're going to talk about as well for imprint but like it's i love a movie where they just unabashedly like who cares like mm. we're just going to dress up in the things and we're going to everyone's going to do all their eclectic accents we're not going to all do british we're not going yes. to all do this it's just like we're going to do our accents and this is what it is you know that's um you know from from we were talking a hot mess to a hot ness um <laughs> I, uh, as in hot, Elliot-ness. hot Elliot-ness we we got hot mess like Harvey Keitel we got a hot Elliot Ness and Kevin Costner just give me you in your yeah. real accent if you're doing something with the role like that that's making it magic
2: and i think um, with another thing like with a movie like this being one of their one of their first films in their first batch it heralds something that i look forward to in imprint continuing and seeing having a preview of what their next batch is i do see that thread continuing they have a lesser known film from an ordained canon filmmaker. And yes. I think that is important in that aspect that I spoke of in the first episode that I think is key when it comes to like collecting physical media and like and watching film through that lens is that there is a curation to it, but there is a sense of discovery to it. And I think that that is a key way for people to... Get excited about a new label is like we've got a film that you might not know by one of your favorite filmmakers and a filmmaker that you know is great. So it adds that sense of discovery for people that might not be familiar with The Duelists.
1: Yeah. And also, I I, I think that's totally right. And it's, there's nothing like a, there's almost nothing like a first film. Mm. It's, you know, why some people, you know, I mean, you think of like the Coen brothers and their huge career, but like you watch Blood Simple, and you're just like, it's there. It's just something so it's 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 so there. And I think that what we've already talked about with Ridley, and and what we're going to definitely talk about in upcoming imprint releases is you got to love a collection that's like determined to get those films from those canonical filmmakers that kind of slip under the radar because mm. sometimes it is their second movie that blows up, and or it is their like you know it, it it's not always that you know that that Reservoir Dogs that hits it straight out of the park. But uh, I love I, I love that they've gone for this one. Now we have to talk like let's talk Turkey on the release and the mm-hmm. slipcase. What do what do you, you like in here? Do you like the classic sort of 19 uh, um, a d- sort of classic like 1970s uh, cover. That's kind of it's sort of it's sort of like the poster. It's a bit more sort of um silhouetted uh, than the original theatrical poster um of uh, from 1977, 78. Um, or, or do you like the sort of cross swords duelist with this sort of like red, uh, red, uh uh, faces of the of the guys on, on the inside Blu-ray cover. What's what are you liking at the moment? This is
2: like? one that I'm glad I don't have to choose because I like both of these a lot. Yeah. I really like both of these. The Same. slip cover and I like the plastic cover as well. Where um for where what they both have like this feeling because this is an adaptation of Joseph Conrad.
1: Conrad. Uh,
2: like a Joseph Conrad novella, I believe. Um, that. I like that both of these have a different feeling of like a pulpy cover where like the first one's like, you've got those silhouettes, that illustrated silhouettes and then the, the inside cover, the plastic cover. I love that font. Like, I don't know what that font is, but it's like that, almost like the Godfather (laughs) font where it does feel (laughs) like like a paperback that you would find, like, at an op shop that's got weathered, tea-stained pages on the inside. Uh, And I think that it captures both of these, like, elements of something that's key to, like, the aesthetics of this film in both covers. And I'm glad I don't have to pick. I like both. This is probably the one where... There's not a clear winner, which cover I prefer of the two. Yes.
1: It's, 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 it's a really hard, it's a hard one to pick against, but, um, you know, we like it, we like this one unslipped and, and, and slipped, yeah. um, which e- equally slipped and unslipped now from a first film from a Joseph Conrad story that cost nothing for them to adapt, that was shot on an absolute shoestring budget, mm-hmm. uh, on location in a bunch of places, like really hard and fast, a lot of practical effects, sometimes involving people getting stabbed with car aerials. To number five, our final film for this May batch for imprint films, their first batch, is a movie that at its time in 1969 when it was produced was the second highest budgeted film of all time. Um, only second to Cleopatra and funded, it was an Italian film, yeah, Russian <laughs> co-production um, that was mostly funded by the Soviet Union and the uh, Hollywood super producer Dino De Laurentiis during his like peak time um, in oh, Italy man. as a producer he, between 1959 and 69. I'm hoping there's more Dino in future. Oh, there has 100%. to be 100.
2: So the much amount of Dino. output that Dino De Laurentiis had of like bizarre prestige films. That are totally <laughs> grubby and totally out there. The amount of just like luscious amounts of production design <laughs> and yes. production value that are tossed at a De Laurentiis' film. They are the perfect type of movies to be embraced by a label like this. And this is one that I don't know if I had ever seen before. It's kind of like is not my cup of tea, this film. And no,
1: it's it's called it's called Waterloo. Goodbye!
2: My children!
0: You really are the best of my generals.
1: Obviously, the, the final uh, battle between Wellington and Napoleon, um, uh, the British forces and the French forces, basically when they're on the retreat. Um, and it kind of came in that run of, like, your War in Pieces and, and, mm. and uh, your Zulus and um, Tora, Tora, Torres. There were a lot of, like, historical battle remake movies. Like, let's dramatize that. Um, and this one came along. It was one that I hadn't seen either. And I, I, I'm, I'm a bit like you. Like, I... These old sort of World War II sort of, uh, you know, rah-rah historical battle movies don't really jive with me a lot of the time. Yeah, historical
2: epic is not the genre that I really, I get excited for. This is Sergei Bordechuk, who also is the director behind the movie you just mentioned, the War and Peace that came out. Like contemporaneously, a couple of years before this, which was another huge production. Yes. I believe it won best foreign picture at the Oscars that year as well. Uh, it's an incredible yes. movie that I will likely never watch because it just is so <laughs> immense. But this is almost like a distilled <laughs> version of that. This is like almost like the the cliff notes of something like War and Peace, which is a giant epic.
1: And and so this is if there is one reason. That you buy this batch and if there is one reason that you buy this movie in this batch it is to see what happens when you have you go from a shoestring Mm -hmm. budget especially these two movies you go from a shoestring to the soviet union financing your film so they literally they created a half scale size Live Waterloo mm. battlefield. This thing shot in Italy. It shot in the Ukraine. They leveled fields. They used whole armies. There are hundreds of thousands of horses. There are huge international actors. There are evening de- decadent dinner scenes where there are four thousand lit candles for every single scene. The money. Is unbelievable. Yeah. The production value is insanity. And there's just that one thing, and I think Tarantino's talked about it um, in reference to Francis Ford Coppola and Apocalypse Now. It's like everything, there is so much chaos, there is so much decadence, there is so much stuff happening in every frame of this movie that, like, if even if you don't drive with it, which Alexia and I don't necessarily mm-hmm. drive with this movie at all, but like just watching it, I'm like, you cannot make a car. There's a, there's a, there's, there's a moment with Rod Steiger who's playing Napoleon is just like, he walks up and it it looks like there may be a conflict because he's been Mm. kicked out of France. He's been in in hiding. He comes back with uh, like a thousand of his most loyal soldiers and he confronts his, you know, fifth regiment of his former army. And he feels like he might be executed. And then there's this rousing moment where they kind of let him, they, they welcome him back in and they embrace him. And there's like, a scene where the camera's looking down and there's a thousand people yeah. surrounding him. <laughs>
2: and that's actually a thousand people in the frame. It's like, ins- it's it's completely... It's vanity. unfathomable, really. Like, you know, the- what they do with this movie, it is only stuff like Coppola was able to do. I guess in recent times, it's only people like, uh, I guess, Alejandro Iñárritu with like The Revenant yeah. is the only other like modern films that kind of feel like this. And I don't think that we should ever go back to this type of <laughs> filmmaking. I think that film sets should be like safe, nice places to work. And, and,
1: and not killing horses or
2: men. or. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that should be... I, I mean, I don't know if I'm <laughs> stepping out of line saying that kind of thing. But I don't think that's how I, films should be made. I don't want to out of line here, but uh,
1: don't kill all the animals that you're using in the movie. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Exactly. I I don't want to be too controversial when I'm talking about this podcast because this is just a celebration of film. I'm a celebrator of cinema and I I don't know like this, but there's something about this movie that I did find quite – Exciting in that was it, it was is it seeing that, that huge production was value. It that awesome Steiger clearly
1: asleep in this movie. Like he,
2: <laughs> yes. As Louis XIV. You're seeing huge stars like Rod Steiger going insane. You're seeing Christopher Plummer go insane. And then you've got awesome Wells just coming in and doing whatever. It's like the Marlon Brando <laughs> in Superman like performance of historical
1: epics. So hard. Where
2: he just comes in and he just comes in as himself doing whatever. And um I I did. I like that there was like a slightly unconventional biographical film nature about this film. Like there was a moment yes. in this film where uh, Napoleon, played by Rod Steiger, who I think is really really good in this movie, I like yeah, that perfect. Napoleon is almost like this cigar chomping gangster in a way. The way that uh, like a the chubby Rod Steiger plays him. I adore Rod Steiger. I love. One of my favourite Rod Steiger he does, performances he does have, is- He
1: does have that dodgy energy. He
2: does have that dodgy energy. And I think Rod Steiger like taps into it. I think I really like Rod Steiger as an actor. There's this? Have you ever seen the movie Marty with Ernest Borgnine? That's yeah, one of my favourite movies. But the Terrific the movie. only performance I like more than Ernest Borgnine in that film is their original teleplay of Marty before that movie existed- Marty was played by Rod Steiger, and Rod Steiger plays a character so differently, like, so sensitively, and I think, like, seeing him have this turn as, like, this, the hero and the villain of this movie, which is Napoleon, is really good, but there's this great scene where he basically has, like, this unraveling monologue direct-to-camera as if it was like a Shakespearean play. And it reminded me of something of like, you know, uh, Nicholas Vindingreffen's Bronson as like this unconventional biopic. And I didn't know that this film was going to go metatextual existential like that. And
0: that was at (laughs) least,
2: like I did know that this film was going to have like superb battle scenes that were going to like blow me away. But seeing a little touch like that was kind of like what surprised me about this movie and what I liked most about it.
1: Yeah, it's this weird thing, like, uh, in the lead-up to the scene that I'm talking about, um, that I talked about when I was talking about, like, the magnificence of just, like, so many people all together, all around, um, there's a moment where Rod Steiger's Napoleon's walking up and he's got his hands behind his back and he's making hand signals to his men that you know is, like, if these guys turn on me, like, kill them, like, and... It, and the camera follows his hands like so beautifully, like just the, all the little weird gestures that he's doing, all of the signaling. And Serge, um, Sergei Bondachuk, like the director, is like framing it so perfectly. And it's so weird to see in this, Epic! How like it scales down to this like mm. tiny focus area. But look, it's like this was one that I was I was pleased to see. And I think if you're a bit of a completist on these like huge, um, uh, you know, significant historical, um, uh, sort of recreate battle recreation movies, like this is one that you probably need in your collection. If, you're, if you mm. if you've got a if you've got a friend or a family member who's like a war buff, movie buff kind of person, yeah. like they need this. And, and it's kind of the last one. Like it because you can you mm. literally in the Western world and, and and with any kind of like production uh, ohS like you, you can't
2: do yes. this movie
1: you can't do the movie in the way that they've done it with the, on the scale that they've done it you, you can't make a movie yeah. like this it's impossible
2: and I remember like this movie is probably best known as the movie that stopped Stanley Kubrick from making his Napoleon film because yes. I believe he was working on one at the same time and I I was lucky enough to go to a uh, probably like almost a decade ago now. I went to like Los Angeles County Museum of Art where they had an incredible Stanley Kubrick exhibit. Kubrick, also not one of my guys. Any of these cold emotionalist, like prestige directors, they're <laughs> not the ones that I get excited about usually. But that exhibit was incredible. And there was, so, there was so much of his archive of his research for this film that never existed. So it's kind of amazing to see like, yeah, this film, there's a reason it was like put a stop to it because why would you try to make something after like someone goes so out oh. there with making a, such a lush and high production value and this movie is gorgeous. Like this, and even though this is just a 1080p transfer, this is this looks like it could have been made within like the last 10, 20 years in the way oh, that it. this transfer looks.
1: Everything that's happening in frame looks amazing. Like that's the that's the big thing for me. This is you know the the, the transfer is one thing. The look of it, um, it's as far as like the five in the May batch. This is another one that's kind of got softer on the special features. Yeah. Um, Sheldon Hall, um, on, on Waterloo featurette is like uh you know the it's like a. a, a what a is this? You watched
2: it. I watched it.
1: <laughs> It is an hour of a guy, Sean Hall, who knows more about this movie than almost anyone. Wow. Talking almost straight down the barrel of the camera about everything that happens in it. Now, some of it's, like, deeply informative, but it's like one of those lecturers, if you've ever been to university or, like, a teacher, that, that, like, after 10, 15 minutes, it's just this guy from Ferris Bueller. Fry. Wow. Fry. Fry. It is just a punish, but... Some of the stuff's really informative. It's really crazy. There's a lot of like, um, and there was a lot of like weird speculation with this movie cause it was a bit of a colossal failure. Like it yeah. made money everywhere in the world, except the United States. And I think a lot of like it made money in the UK and it was a bit more like, you know, rah-rah for UK people. And they actually knew what the battle of Waterloo was and what it meant. And um, and, and so therefore they had a little bit more of a relationship to it in the US it made no, no money. Um, And then it had its own apocryphal tales that there were like four and five-hour cuts of Waterloo and a lot of it was on the cutting room floor, but it was just assembly cuts and stuff. So, yeah, look, um, not the most thrilling um, of special features. But but that is my
2: dream one day to have my own special feature for Austin Powers Spy who shagged me, just me, direct (laughs) down camera, go like, it's awesome when they have the silhouettes and looks like Austin's penis and like, that's one of my (laughs) dreams. That's my dream.
1: Uh, if anything comes out of this podcast, I want to direct that special feature <laughs> and just put it on YouTube. I'll, yeah. I'll, like, I'll put on YouTube and go, for the next imprint films, if you ever get the rights to Austin Powers, by Spy Who Shagged Me, a mandatory special feature is this already produced special feature we put on YouTube. Which is Alexi uh,
2: recounting <laughs> basically the plot of the movie, saying that's awesome after every scene. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is that is awesome. Um, and, and yeah, so it's it was a bit of a punish, but it's, it's Mm. just like, you kind of wish, um, you know, if you're a completist for all these huge historical epics, there's always one that kills it. Yes. Right. And I think with comic book movies, there's always one who kills it. And I would have liked, I I think that they had, there were, there was legs in an approach like that of like, this killed this kind of movie. Why? And like, part of it, as you said, is like, it killed it for a certain amount of time because why did it kill it? Because, You know, it's not exactly coming out at the best time for people to be like chest bumping. It's like right in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. It's about to be new Hollywood. This is old world historical epics that are like pro-war and chest beaty and all that sort of stuff. And you can see why it wouldn't be hit in the States because, you know, this is the time. There's already been a Cassavetes and there's already been a Scorsese. And there's already starting to be people like Francis Ford Coppola and Terrence Malick. And And Michael Shimino. Chamino and like all those filmmakers that are synonymous with that new Hollywood period are all emerging and blooming. Yeah. Um, and and so, I you know, you can totally see why it doesn't make sense. But nonetheless, it's, it's such an interesting one because like if it's made five years earlier, it's one of the biggest hits in the world because it's yes. not necessarily any worse than any of those others. And in fact, has some kind of cool, yeah. twisty, weird things, but it just was the one that killed it.
2: It's hitting in like that Dr. Zhivago spot. And yeah. I think you're right. He's the one that killed it. Because I think I've after never that, found
1: the Dr. Zhivago spot. Have you- <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know where it is. It's a rumor to me, basically. <laughs> but you know, like, I guess it doesn't really happen again until Spike Lee makes Malcolm X, where it's like a big historical epic in the truest yeah. sense, where it's like a biographical film. And yeah. it is that plus two and a half hour, three hour runtime. Uh, and it's like, it does kill it until then. And then because that movie is very specific, it doesn't really catch on again. And I'm, I'm glad that we've got Malcolm X. Spike Lee's my favorite filmmaker. So I'm glad that he got to make his epic, but not many filmmakers do. And Bordacek no, got and to do it like three times.
1: Yeah, and like, <laughs> It's like him and, and David
2: and- Lee that did it that often.
1: and and david lean wasn't funded by the soviet union which you know like like which 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 helps but yeah like i think like lean lean does it and there's a point in time and like there are some filmmakers that like reach out for lean but also it's like it's like it's so outmoded it's like Mm. it's over um so yeah look man what a fiver yeah for 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 an opening gamut imprint films like their first batch
2: pretty freaking good Pretty good. And I think that it's weird because and
1: the D V D cover, the Blu-ray cover of Waterloo that is yeah. inside the slip with the classic poster, the painted poster is very cool on yes. the slipcase. But the, the Rod Steiger silhouette, Napoleon silhouette that's on the inside is actually is 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 really terrific.
2: It's, it's really a stunning terrific. image that's very evocative of the photography of the movie. Uh, while being like an artistic interpretation of that as well. I think like this batch is interesting as well because we've noted that there are two historical epics, both set in like the Napoleonic period. There's also two B-horror movies and a noir. And while that's like almost like there's only three genres in this first batch of five movies, but within them, it's like there's a diversity of of taste between them and a diversity of what they're all going for thematically. I think it's nice to like have a commonality between them, a thread between these films and there's a difference between them all as well. I I, I find that very exciting where it's almost like they've got themes in each of their batches almost.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because it's got this hardcore super sci-fi with War of the Worlds and then you wrong number is like pure noir. And then I Married a Monster from Outer Space is kind of like, is the bridging point between a really weird mm. like a like a tight noir and a sci-fi movie. It's like it's like the perfect marriage of all of those different themes is all sort of happening. And then it's like complete limited tight dynamic storytelling and ultimate excess and seeing yes. the gaps. And ultimately like that whole Napoleonic crossover. So it's really cool to see the themes. And I love that. It's like it's like the difference between listening to it like a single and a really mad album is mm. that you know, when, when an album has like an arc, like a story arc, it's yes. like, oh, no, I'm going to throw this album on. I'm going to listen to the whole thing. Cause it just has something. And I love that in that first batch that, it, that it's good. But it also, again, it goes, you know, we've got 53, 48, 58, 77 and 70 covered. I'm looking forward to seeing how the batches flow with like the different mm. decades that they capture and like what they say about the different decades that we get to see, um, in each batch.
2: Yeah, well, we've got a bit of a preview of what the next batch coming out very soon in August is. Uh, it's another batch of five movies. Uh, and they- this is more of uh, scattered across a few different decades this time, I believe.
1: Yeah, scattered scattered across different decades and um, and... It's our most contemporary release yet. So we've got When Worlds Collide, um, which is an impending collision with a runaway star signals the destruction of Earth. It's a science fiction film. It's from producer George Powell, who did War of the World. So they're sort of carrying mm-hmm. on um, with that one um, uh, coming through there. That's number six. That's from 1951. Um, spy number seven is No Way to Treat a Lady, which is a 1968 film. It's directed by Jack Smite. And it's from a screenplay by John Gay and uh, from William Goldman's novel of the same wow. name. A connection with me doing all the president's minutes, which is super exciting. Also stars Rod Steiger, Lee Remick, George Segal, Eileen Heckart. So again, right 1968, the be- beginning of New Hollywood, we're seeing mm-hmm. like that whole transition happen. The next one is probably the biggest one of this batch, which is very exciting. Eight is my favourite number, Alexi. Ooh. And this is number eight, Spine. A Place in the Sun from 1951 with Montgomery Clift and Elizabeth Taylor. George it's Stevens
2: directed, right?
1: George Stevens directed. It is... Um, uh, it, this is, if we were talking about either War of the Worlds or Jewelists kind of being the jewels in the crown of the batch number one, A Place in the Sun in 51, uh, uh, in, in batch number two, is absolutely... Um,
2: is is the number one mm. there? It is a bonafide We're, classic.
1: Yes, hundred percent. We then have the Carpet Baggers, which is from nineteen sixty four, which stars um, George Papad and Carol Baker, um, and um, has some parallels. Um, uh, uh, because it's based on Harold Robbins' bestseller to Howard Hughes. Um, so there's a bit of that uh, the crazy tycoon, um, yeah, who's got an empire there. So it's a bit of a uh, uh, Howard Hughes uh, rip off riff riff on 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 the the interesting character that was Howard Hughes. Yeah. Um, and then the final one is the one that you and I are both the most excited for in the batch.
2: Yeah, this is Night Falls on Manhattan, starring Andy Garcia. And directed by one of my all-time favourite filmmakers, Sidney Lumet, who directed Dog Day Afternoon, who directed Prince of the City, Serpico. I'm sitting next to a giant Serpico poster that I got in the last (laughs) couple of months. Uh, But (laughs) Sidney Lumet is like one of the canonical filmmakers for me. I adore his work. And this is one that I'm not familiar with really at all, apart from knowing its title and knowing that it kind of continues on in like his cops against the city or cops against the system like Serpico and Prince of the City uh, and so I'm very very excited to finally watch this one in a beautiful Blu-ray box and the DVD <laughs> disc that is helping <laughs> with it <laughs> uh,
1: I, I think the other big thing that we're looking forward to with Imprint is we talked a little bit about it being like the debut film mm. but for me it's the blind spot. Like what was the movie that is now not out? Like for some reason you can't find it anywhere from that director. Like they go off and make a little movie, an indie movie or something Mm. and it's just gone. And so like, sometimes you can be going through your list and then there's like, you know, it's easy to find a Serpico. It's easy to find a dog day, but then like night falls on Manhattan, you're looking at the list and you're like, where? Is, what? Not, I got to go to
2: some I... public library on the other side of the city <laughs> yeah. to find this movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, although it's it's not happening. It's not happening. Who do I know that's going to a university that can yeah. go to a university library and rent me a copy of this? But like, I'm 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 super excited about that now. Man, this has been great. I'm mm. having so much fun unpacking, unboxing, de-slipping, talking mm. about transfers, talking about ooh. Does it have Dolby 5.1?
2: Oh, mm. does it have a slip cover? Does it have an interactive menu, which is my favourite special (laughs) feature, often listed on the back of classic DVD covers? (laughs) None of these have my other favourite, interactive bio. That's my other favourite, is bios. They don't make those anymore on the DVDs. (laughs) You can't get a Blu-ray that has bios on it. Honestly,
1: I think if you're listing photo gallery, that's one thing that we can say for our imprint friends. Is if you're listing photo galleries, unless it's behind the scenes, it's a really poxy one. Like yeah. if it's just marketing photos, it's got to go. It's got to go. I would tell um, you
2: some um, of these have that photo gallery. I'm like, thank you for taking me back in time. I do love a photo gallery. <laughs>
1: thank you for taking us back in time. Now, before we, before we leave, we wanted to talk to our other fellow obsessives about how they can get in touch with us to recommend imprint mm-hmm. and and to talk we're, we're having a dialogue we're an officially sanctioned podcast um we we have some films that we would love to see imprint films tackle and mm. and, and and some of them cross over into some of the things we've talked about a missing link film for for, for a director or a first film um but how, how do we want people to contact us and then maybe we'll throw up some recommendations to things that we would love to see imprint tackle?
2: Well, you can find us both on social media Blake is on Twitter at OneBlakeMinute. I'm on Twitter at this is Alexi. That's my Instagram handle as well. Uh, that's probably a good way to talk to us. We'll be talking about this podcast and when we announce the episodes, announce what is happening with Imprint, we're going to be using hashtag ImprintCompanion talking about this podcast. So you can use that hashtag to get in contact with us. You can also add us and we will be very keen to discuss what you would like to see on the imprint label. I personally like the idea of like debut films, blind spots that you mentioned. Uh, What I love most is the discovery factor with these things. I've talked about it and I really want them to continue with that. But because this is Australian label, I know that ViaVision has access to some great Australian movies. They've got like a brand new version of Some of Us, uh, which is not part of imprint, but they've just released a new Blu-ray version of that, which looks great. And I would like them to perhaps Bring movies like that into the label as well, because these are high-quality boutique Blu-rays that people all around the world are gonna be importing and trying to collect all the spines. And I am a big champion of Australian film. It's what I'm probably most passionate about is celebrating Australian cinema. And I don't get to do that very often on the podcast that I make, which sucks. (laughs) I wish that I got I wish I changed them so I could do more stuff like that. But I would love them to embrace more Australian cinema and put more Australian cinema out there in the hands of these boutique Blu ray collectors. One of them I'm just going to whisper onto the podcast, I know that you'll agree with me. And I just want it to be out there in the ether so people are thinking about it. I would love Andrew Dominic's Chopper finally released on Blu ray.
1: Oh my God. Alexi and I, this is why we're doing this show together. If Andrew Dominic's Chopper does mm-hmm. not have a HD transfer, um, if Eric. In I mean, my lifetime?
2: <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do.
1: <laughs> if, I, if I if if I don't get an interactive bio of Eric Banner on yes. a beautiful High definition transfer of, uh, of Tropper. Look, I mean, Chopper is one of the greatest Australian films ever made. It mm-hmm. was certainly a launching um, a launching pad for Andrew Dominic as a filmmaker and obviously Eric Banner. It has, it is there, you can buy it on almost every international iTunes, if video on demand service. It is on a couple of video on demand services. It is not in HD. It's it not no in Australia.
2: Sense. You also, it's not even it's on not, iTunes in Australia. I've got my old standard not. definition DVD that I've held onto for like 15, 20 years that I can't get rid oh of. Oh my god.
1: Oh my god! This, this, at the end of the show, it's just me showing Alexia into the Dragon <laughs> yeah. uh, a, a cover, and, and also my Chopper DVD to prove my bona fides. But yeah. it's, uh, look, you know we, we are going to talk about that. I mean, I I also think that there are there are versions of films like you know, for example, Gregor Jordan's Two Hands, which does mm. have a Blu-ray, but like I think that it deserves a it deserves the imprint. It deserves, it deserves the imprint. It deserves the imprint. It deserves a beautiful transfer. Mm-mm. It deserves a commentary. It deserves a. Photo gallery.
2: Yes, for me the what? big one. The same year, 2000. Looking for Alabrandi, my favorite movie of all time. Oh my god! I've been like Bring listening it. articles talking about this movie. I've done like productions of reading the screenplay out with the author at theaters. That is my favorite movie of all time, and it's also not available in HD. I want. I, that's another one. There's so many great Australian movies that so I think. Many. You know Criterion releases some every now and then, Arrow releases a couple here and there, Eureka I know has got Chant of Jimmy Blacksmith and uh Wake in Fright, and there's a few Australian uh labels have put together good versions of Australian movies, but I would like them to get the real boutique treatment here in our own country so we can just celebrate Australian cinema a little bit more, especially in that physical media realm.
1: Oh, 100% and uh and I think that If you guys add us um, and we use the power of social media, the power of Mm. a huge part of our community, an underserved part of our community, the DVD culture, those still hanging on still hanging on to your Chopper DVD and you're looking for Ali Brandy yeah. Roadshow DVD that doesn't even have a proper classic DVD case. It's one of those ones that's like still kind of hard. I've actually
2: got it next know, to me. Open. I've got it on my oh desk. My God. Yeah, I've got it on oh my, my desk. Uh, it's got some great stuff on there, including music videos. I want music videos on Booty. <laughs> <laughs> Teenage of the Year by Lotel. if I get that on HD.
1: A banger of a soundtrack. Oh, but, gosh. You know, that's another thing. We want a second disc with the soundtrack. That's what we want. You've
2: heard our demands. Gosh, I think I have that also on my desk, the CD soundtrack. (laughs) I mean, I told you, it's my favourite movie. I've got it on my desk for easy access.
1: Listen... I, I understand. I've got three vers. I've got three versions of Heat. I've got mm. every version that you can get uh, under the sun. In fact, I was just asking someone from Canada to ship me the Canadian Blu-ray because uh, on the front it says Heat, and then because every- all French Canadians have like the French yeah. translation of the title on it, it says Heat, and the Heat translation in French Canadian is tension. <gasps> and I want it. I want tension. it. Tension. I want multiple translations. Tension. I'm excited. Uh. this has been such a freaking blast guys you're going to hear these episodes for our may batch and our august batch probably in closer proximity to one another than Mm -hmm. normal we're going to usually release um our debrief and our unboxing our de-slipping our unpacking Mm -hmm. of everything uh that we do kind of just before the release date so this these five batch come out on the 26th of august so you're going to probably hear these episodes in sort of the first week of august um you're going to hear the next uh batch right on release date for the second one and then as we ramp up to preview what's happening in october right before um it drops a big bonanza in october it's an absolutely massive batch there so we'll talk to you guys more about it man this has been so much fun
2: this has been a blast uh you can hear more from blake over at one Heat minute productions who has got a bunch of other podcasts and the details of those will be in the show notes you can just click straight on through if you want to hear more from blake
1: and if you want to hear more from Alexi on Total Reboot, on Mic Check, or his new Australian podcast that he's going to invent when we finish this episode of this show mm-hmm. and create a rod for his own bag, you can also um, click on the show notes and you can find a link straight through to that one. Um, the first episodes of this show might pop up in those feeds to um, direct people there, but Imprint Companion will also have its own feed so you can follow along if you
2: are those obsessed DVD culture freaks just like us. Beautiful. I love movie. I love physical media. I love to pop a disc out and pop it in the player. Oh, uh, I, I, I feel like my disc has been popped.
0: <laughs> Oi, so that was the um, imprint companion, baby. Imprint companion with Alexi and Blake. Like, honestly, two of the best film boys. And if you like them and companions to imprints, I reckon... Um, should probably subscribe to this, hey. Maybe, like, give it a review. I don't know. Check on a rating. Like, what else are you doing? Like, we have nothing else going on. We're all inside slowly going mad. So, yeah, I don't know. Just love this for them. They really deserve it. And um, it's just great when, like, sweet film boys come together. Just fucking love to see it.